Hey everyone, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. I hope you're well, and I'm thankful that you are listening again. In fact, if this is something that you enjoy, would you mind sharing it with a friend? This is my shameless plug as we begin to advertise the show. Since I am a one-man operation, I don't really have a budget to advertise online or anywhere really. So I rely on word of mouth. And these episodes are generally 20 to 25 minutes long of pure and simple conversations on the Bible the good news of Jesus, and about the God that we serve. So whether you can share it on social media or bring it up in a conversation when the topic of podcasts randomly happens to come up, I would appreciate the help. Now, a man that I deeply admire and respect is a brother from my home congregation named Lonnie Shirey. He's a great example of a husband, a father, a grandfather, a leader in our congregation, and just an all-around man. He is a great example of a man. And when I grow up, I want to be like Lonnie. One of the things that Lonnie and I share in common is a deep commitment and desire to help others feel like they're a part of the team. And so helping new members or Christians who've become disenchanted or or discouraged, helping them to plug in, so to speak, is an essential part in the health of a congregation. And uh, Lonnie and I share a passion about that. So we're going to have a chat about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, It's a great chapter in the Bible about unity in diversity. And I should clarify that it's not about a diversity of opinions or doctrines, but rather a diversity of talent and personalities, people who are working together to make a healthy and fully functioning congregation. Now, On the video page at pureandsimplebible.com, there are three videos called The Bounty of Gifts about 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 on this specific section in the Bible. And you should check those out. Beyond the the primary message that those videos are about, however, are truly just a bounty of gifts for our learning. And I hope that this principle of unity and diversity are is just a you know an extra part of that bounty. So, without further delay, I invite you to listen in on a conversation with Lonnie Shirey on some principles of unity in diversity. One of the things that I uh, admire about you, and I feel that we work in we work well in this quality together, is that we both like to encourage participation, uh, meaning. Whether it's a large congregation or a small congregation, all members should feel like they're a part of the team. And when there are those who aren't feeling like they're a part of a team, then we want to reach out to them and try to find them apart because it just works better when everybody's doing the job instead of 20% of us doing all of the work. So that's kind of our segue into chapter 12. Is um, In this chapter, we, we see these principles of unity where the church is going to be encouraged to get everybody involved. And so we've got some bullet points to try to run through here. And um, so I'd just like to ask you to comment on some of these. But the first principle of unity from chapter 12 uh, comes from verse 12 and 13. And that's the concept of we're all baptized into one body. So how would you use that to encourage others, maybe who are feeling a little bit left out or... 
just don't feel like they belong in the Lord's church? How could that principle of unity, the concept that we're all baptized into one body, be helpful to them? There's a lot of value in understanding that we are a family in Christ Jesus, or alternatively, the body. When we look back at the early church in Acts chapter 2, we find in the later part, around verse 44, 47, that they were together and had all things in common, and that they would be together on a daily basis. And I think it takes that type of a mentality and participation to feel like we are a part of the body. I can't imagine being a part of a family but not spending significant time together. Right. It is a material part of our unity and our physical family, and so it just makes sense that that's a part of the spiritual family. And I find those who are disengaged seem to not feel like an essential part of the body, but a bolted-on piece. And when you and I have active time together, then we become naturally, organically, a part of the body. And so then our desire to be more participative just comes. And so the more we feel a part of the body, the more active we are, and it's a circle. I love where the Apostle Paul says in some cases, our gospel. Mm-hmm. It's not just Jesus' gospel, it is our gospel. And when you and I embrace the our concept in that, then it just becomes sweeter and richer because now we're not just a component, we're a, a, an integral part of the body of Christ. Right. There's buy-in for what we're doing. It's not just, uh, not just something I'm going to punch on the ticket every Sunday, but rather this is part of my DNA. It's part of my identity. I'm part of this family. Full contact sport. <laughs> the, the second principle that we observed was that there are various talents that are needed to perform different services. So, I, you know, it's kind of the same question, but um, when somebody is a new Christian, or maybe this is somebody that's a little bit disenchanted about the church, how can we use their talents to help integrate them into the Lord's church? Like we do with our children, we always start with small pieces where they can start grabbing ownership. And when we develop in them a sense of pride and accomplishment in what they're doing in small things, I think it's in easier to uh, develop a more mature and stronger drive in them. In our home, when our children were little, we would find very small chores for them to do. Mm-hmm. And it grew their hunger because we praised them for what they did. They felt a sense of, of ownership and a great sense of accomplishment. And so in the church, I think one of the best things we can do as managers in the body of Christ is understand we aren't supposed to do everything. We're not skilled at it. The Lord doesn't expect it. And frankly, he doesn't want that. Because if we become uh, the doers in the church exclusively, then we've left out people uh, in their ability to grow in their talents, to feel the same sense of accomplishment and ownership. So we start small find things they can do, praise them, praise them sincerely. People know what a lack of sincerity is. Right. And when we do that, then I think they will have a natural inclination to want to do more. I want to read from verse 15. It says, If the foot should say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And he goes on to ask a few more 
rhetorical questions in a similar way. But it's really easy for people to observe those who lead worship. You know, well, look at the guy who's preaching or the guy leading the songs or the prayers. They're so talented. Uh, and I, I can't do that maybe for whatever reason. Maybe they feel they, they can't participate or, or they legitimately can't. Um, how would you encourage that person? Maybe just in their perception of looking at somebody in a public way and saying, wow, I, I can't be like that. So, you know, I'm not a hand, so I'm not part of the body. What would you tell them? It's probably time for a good sit-down session and find the things that they feel comfortable with. And again, starting small, uh, perhaps it's when visitors come in, a good warm handshake, maybe a hug, and start the process in a way where they do feel some comfort and accomplishment. It may seem funny, but one of the greatest things we can do is have a clean building. When people come in, and one of the first impressions uh, is the... Uh, the accessibility, the cleanliness, the open and welcomeness of not just the people, but the building. And so we can start them off on things like that and praise them for what they do. I think people, for the most part, have greater talents than they give themselves credit for. And so bringing out the best in everyone becomes incumbent upon us as leaders or managers of the Lord's business. It reminds me, I guess mindset is important. You know, but it reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew six about whenever you're doing your good deeds to receive that praise from God and not from men. And so, mindset does matter as you exercise your talents as well. That you know, there are people who are in front of the body and everybody sees their talent. That that doesn't mean your talent is any less valuable because it's behind scenes and nobody sees it. The building does need to be clean. The bill and uh, the way we present ourselves is very important. So. I guess that leads into the next point uh, that I'd like to mention, and that is that God is pleased with the differences in our gifts. Um, I, I'm probably as guilty as the next person of rating gifts. Uh, you know, maybe the ones that I want, I'm going to pursue them because I feel like they're more valuable, or, or maybe I see other gifts as not as valuable, so I, I don't want to pursue those. But God's pleased with all of them, and He's pleased with that differentiation in them. So. Help us understand um, the pleasure that God gets, I guess, from the variety of ways that we serve Him. Well, it's pretty clear that everybody has differing talents. And to assume that my talents are more important than somebody else's is pretty presumptuous and, and arrogant. Part of the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 teaches us, beginning in verse 23, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow, bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. And so we have human value judgments about what is attractive physically, and then we bring those into our spiritual attraction and God doesn't see things the way we do and that's got to be one of the most wonderful uh, components of who God is versus humanity in that he sees the beauty in all of us and he values that beauty in all of us equally thankfully God doesn't look at me like somebody else might and say well he's not very talented so 
He's lower on the totem pole. My God doesn't see people that way. When I use my talents and I try to grow my talents, then he's very pleased with me, just as if he would somebody who's much more talented in visible ways than I am. I remember as a child having a gospel meeting, and one of the leaders of the congregation said, now we're going to have Brother So-and-so over to preach for us. And please understand that he's not the most flowery preacher, (laughs) but he's one of the most incredible personal workers that he had ever known. And we might weigh the speaking as a greater gift when, in fact, probably the one-on-one across the table from somebody is the greater gift. And so God doesn't view greater or lesser like we do. I believe that he grades things based upon uh, the effort you and I put into them. And so when I exercise my talents to the greatest of my ability— and like the parable of the talents, I try to grow my talents. Mm-hmm. He is extremely pleased with me. Right. Uh, in fact, you know the the man who has the more flowery language uh, might suffer under chapter fourteen, where Paul said, "I'd rather speak five words of edification than ten thousand words in a tongue." I know it's a kind of out of context, but just that idea of a, a preacher who's able—you know—he may not have the most talented speaking voice but if in private he was able to lead people to the Lord you know that's the one that I'd like to work with as well not necessarily the one who's going to make me feel the most emotional but the one who's actually planting and watering and God gets the increase from you know I think history proves that more souls are won in the trenches than from the pulpit there's obviously wonderful value in pulpit preaching But it's when you and I roll up our sleeves and have those one-on-one or one with a few times that we are really able to get into the hearts of people and make that conversion process happen. I agree. Um, I agree on multiple things you've said. One, I do agree that pulpit preaching is very valuable. I preach. I wouldn't take back any of the sermons that I've preached, and I will continue to preach. But I think I told this just to someone recently. I don't know if I've ever experienced somebody who has come forward in the gospel invitation and said, that was so powerful that it's changed my worldview, and now I need to become a Christian at this exact moment. Every conversion that I've been a part of has always been behind the scenes, um, one-on-one over several opportunities and not just a one-and-done sermon. When somebody comes forward during a worship service, it has nearly always been predicated upon some really rolling up the sleeves and getting down and and being gritty with somebody in one-on-one sessions. We see the culmination of it when somebody comes forward in a worship service. That's right. Um, So you were reading from the verses down in the 20s about members feeling less honorable and on others we might bestow greater honor. There's a, a principle that we can gain from this that single parts can't function alone. And so I'd like to talk about that for a little bit maybe. The, the idea of, of someone who just uh, they feel like they're going to do it the best way, everything, and so they're going to ride roughshod over others. How could we encourage an A-type Christian to make way for those who maybe aren't type A personality? Um, how, can we, how can we get them to be more of a team player? First Peter 
chapter 5, I believe, Peter there talks about the elders and ruling elders, and he said they should not be lords over God's heritage, but should be examples. And I think it's very easy for leadership, whether it's in business or in the church, to do the Lord-style leadership, when in fact the scriptures teach us that's not the best way to do it. And so as we lead, we should take every opportunity to be creating tomorrow's leaders and then moving out of the way as best we can so that they can stretch and exhibit and practice their talents. It's easy, I think, whenever you have the natural skill to just assume that you can do the job real quick and and get it over with and move on to the next task. But kind of like what you're saying, even if it takes a little bit longer time, by training those who are younger and training those who are interested but maybe not naturally gifted, you're opening up new fields, a new vineyard for the Lord to work through. And so it's, you don't know the potential, I guess, if you were to take somebody under your wing versus trying to get it all done by yourself. You know, as a leader, our job is to work ourselves out of a job. Right. It is to bring the next generation to a point of leadership. Now, if we're teaching that generation that I am the one to do it all and I'm the best to do it, which in some occasions I might be, but if I take that approach, then I have taught the generation that's going to precede me not to be inclusive of the generation that precedes them. And there's got to be some point here where we understand that our job is to teach tomorrow's teachers, tomorrow's leaders. And the way to do that is by giving them an example and then by giving them every opportunity to succeed and tutoring them along the way. I'm certain that somebody was so patient with me while I was learning uh, that they were shaping and molding me. But if they hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have skill sets I have today. So thankful for those that had a vision. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it lacks vision when we do not see to the growing of those uh, that are younger than us. The scriptures use a word equip from time to time, and that's worthy of a deep study in and of itself, but the concept of equipping someone for good works, meaning you're putting the tools in their hand so they can do the job instead of you pushing them out of the way and just getting it done. You're equipping them. I like that. The, just the visual of it, whether it's a soldier or a farmer or a ball player, whatever the equipment might be, it's once it's in their hands and they have the talent, the skill is greatly improved versus you just telling them to sit on the bench and let you take care of it all. I'm a father of five. Four of those were boys, and I can't tell you how many times changing out a toilet <laughs> took me three times as long because I had oh, one man. or two or three boys trying to sit on my lap while I was doing the work. At the time, it took a little more effort to smile through those, <laughs> but I'm glad I did, and now I smile greatly because those boys are now doing uh, those jobs and they're teaching their children. You know, the spiritual life's not all about changing out toilets, but it's about getting the job done and and bearing with others while they learn. And not just bearing with them, but bearing with them gently and instructing them and then uh, hoping and praying that they continue to grow. No one grows unless they're given the chance to. Amen. I kind of want to ask if you call on them to come and help you work on the toilet these days <laughs> since you've had... 
so many opportunities to train them for it. Do you cash in those favors and say, hey, I got a problem with your name on it? You know, I'm kind of starting all over with that. Now I have a grandson <laughs> that's sitting in my lap there while I'm doing this. There you go. And I have absolute delight in that part of my life, being super papa. There you go. There's a part of me that thinks that Paul is both, I guess, uh, giving them a little bit of chastisement because they haven't been operating the way that they should, but he's also trying to encourage them. And I find great encouragement um, in, the, in verse 20, Six and 20, uh, 25 and 26, and I'll just read that, and then I'd like for you to perhaps comment on it. Um, that there be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So the final principle that will discuss is just the concept that from the scriptures we're commanded to care for one another and the way that we care for one another seems to be pretty broad so do you have any thoughts on that i do you know it's easy to look on something as a chore but i find great pleasure in changing my mindset and seeing something as an opportunity, as a privilege, and one of the privileges we have is bearing one another in their burdens. Galatians chapter 6 talks about us mm-hmm. bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Right. That bearing of burdens is absolutely broad. Sometimes it's burdens of maturity or immaturity. Sometimes it's strictly a matter of growth. Sometimes it's a matter of they stepped in some mud and we get a chance to pick them up out of it. But one of the things that is rewarding is to see them step in the mud less as time goes on. And when I look at something as a terrible thing, then I find as I face that challenge, I've now imparted to somebody that assisting them is a terrible thing to do. When in fact I've robbed them and I've robbed me. But if I can change my mindset and think, really this is a blessing, how God must look down upon me and my weaknesses, and I want Him in joy to help me through my weaknesses. And if I can vision God looking at me, then it makes it a whole lot easier for me to look upon somebody else and their struggles, their immaturities, and their difficulties in life. That's right. In judgment, I'm going to need all the mercy I can get my hands on. And so I want to express that same kind of mercy to others that I ask of God. Is there anything that I haven't brought up or talked about that you think is worth mentioning from chapter 12? Well, I like the bullet point, single parts cannot function alone. I saw an illustration of this one time where there was an older fella that uh, had a member that had moved away from faithfulness, and the older member had uh, the individual over to his house excuse me and as he did they sat there for just a little bit in the quiet and the older brother took a piece of coal in the fireplace and moved it away and as that piece of coal sat there by itself for a few minutes it lost its luster and its glow and so then the older man moved the coal back over near the other pieces of, of burning coal and before too long at all it burned brightly again And I understand the individual who had strayed away then said, thank you for the fiery sermon. (laughs) Not many words said, 
But I think we all need to understand how important it is to work together, to find everybody's gift and talent, and see the wonderful beauty in what can be accomplished when everybody pulls together to make the work uh, of the Lord happen well. And so uh, being a Christian is not about being a lone ranger. It's about being a part of a team sport, bringing the very best out in each other, and that includes me giving my very best and giving my attention. Love the words in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, where we're told to provoke others to love and good work. We all know what it means to provoke, and usually when we provoke, it's not to love and good works. It's <laughs> taking a stick and poking somebody. Right. But our job as Christians, whether we consider ourselves a leader or not, is to be provoking each other to love and good works. And then verse 25 goes on to say, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. Mm -hmm. I find it very difficult for you and I to exhort one another when we're not together. And that goes back to Acts chapter 2, the last part of the chapter where it talks about they were together and had all things in common and broke bread from house to house daily. This is team sport. Well, this has been a very enjoyable discussion from chapter 12, and what I hope this highlights for people who are listening is that, you know, you can read the Bible, and you can study the Bible, but you can also talk about it, and so uh, whether it's with people after services talking about the lesson or in casual conversation at home with your family, uh, I guess my encouragement is to talk about the Word, because here we are for, I guess, about a, oh, about a half hour now talking about 20-something verses in 1 Corinthians 12, but there's just so much to pull out of it that, I mean, we could probably talk another 30 minutes about the chapter, and we wouldn't be the less for it. So thank you very much for chatting with me today, and I'm, I hope that uh, the Lord blesses you and continues to use you as a team player here at Denton County. Thank you, Jonathan. God bless. Well, I am just so thankful for Lonnie, not only for agreeing to sit down with me and chat about 1 Corinthians 12, but also for being such a great example for me and for others. I truly love the man. I hope this is the beginning of a great conversation that you can also have with others about the diversity of talents and personalities in the Lord's Church and how to utilize them. In fact, I want to challenge you to use your talents for the Lord at your local congregation and to seek out others who have talents, but maybe you're needing some direction or encouragement to use them. What opportunities we have whenever we work together. If you have the time, please go to the website, pureandsimplebible.com. You'll find this podcast, uh, all the episodes that are involved in it, all the videos and the study resources. They're yours to use absolutely free. Thank you so much for joining me. Until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.